0: I can run the video through there and then into Zoom, and my video will look good. Hers will look like crap, because she's it's Zoom. Zoom looks like crap. Um, but, you know, we're gonna... So she she's had problems with like, because of the types of people she deals with in therapy and stuff, she's had problems with stalkers, kind of like we have. So I told her I was going to run her video through like a filter so nobody knows what like and then i'm gonna adjust her audio a little bit so what she knows, or what she sounds like oh. so how do i even start this conversation you're the therapist how do you how do you start a conversation about people like addiction to weird shit uh, not like drugs but like to weird shit
1: like a hobby do you know that they're not also addicted to drugs or alcohol no i've yet to meet anyone that's completely fully healthy and functional and not have some form of mental health and or substance use or abuse to randomly mess up their entire lives like you were telling me that people were you know bleeding out their children's college funds instead of that makes sense if someone has cancer or like some type of illness like yeah dip into the savings that aren't going to immediately be needed right now but to chase the dopamine across the United States for a treasure hunt, yeah. maybe not. much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that situation was crazy where the, the guy involved was, um, going so far as to, so the police in that city were involved and he was threatening the police and telling them that to get him to stop literally digging in a park, digging a, a freaking hole in a park for the police to get him to stop. They would have to arrest him and let him have his day in court. He threatened to kidnap one of the authors of the book, um, and and he had legitimately like drained. I think it was twelve thousand dollars from his kid's college fund. He was living in a van to try to find what essentially is a, an ugly flower pot some dude buried in the ground forty years ago. <laughs> is it is there a difference between addiction and just a compulsion? Like, can you just have a compulsion? Okay, so let me ask you this. So a lot of times when I see people who are, I I, I need to use very uh, sort of washed terms because I can't just be like crazy people because, you know, but a lot of times when I see people that I, I feel are kind of obsessed with this, I see like if I look into their lives, their lives tend to not be great, you know, or they tend to be very average. And it almost feels like, because this is a puzzle, they feel like if they solve it, it it provides some sort of validation that they're not just an average person. Where like, you know, normal average people are cool just being a normal average person. These people seem to want some sort of validation that they're above average. Is that, does that make sense? Possibly. Uh I guess what I'm asking is, would a normal person who just walked into a sort of hobby get so obsessed that they would threaten to kill someone or is it. it or is it or is it like you oh. have to have some sort of underlying condition? I don't
2: think normal people do that, though. The average normal person doesn't go into a hobby and then a year later, it's like, OK, I'm to start. Threatening-
0: well, it's not. It's generally not even a year. It's generally normal, like uh, new people I'm that do
2: this. Giving OK, let's say. Well, yeah,
0: I see what you're saying. I see what yeah,
2: you're saying. It doesn't
0: make any sense though. It doesn't to me and it doesn't to you, but we're, you know, not those kind of people.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, if someone is immediately within like a few weeks, few months, even a year later saying that they're going to kill people, that's not typically developing of any child or adult. I mean, people can have intrusive thoughts. like, oh, I should go kill that person. That's not as uncommon as people think it is, or I need to kill myself. that those are pretty common when you're when I say pretty common. when you take a sample of the population, that has probably happened to at least one person in the, like every age group across every the cross section of humanity, right? It's when it becomes repetitive and over and over, and they're verbalizing it, they're trying it. Um, then it gets more of a concern. Not that those thoughts aren't concerning, but everyone's, it. for example, we've all been in a home by ourselves and we think we heard our name called. And I look around, oh, did someone show up early from home, you know, from school or buying groceries or whatever, and no one's in there. We just thought we heard our name called. That's a form of auditory hallucination. It's just where on the spectrum are we, right? So in that moment, most typically developing people are just going to be like, oh, oh, well, that not happened again, maybe for six months, three years, never in their lifetime. But someone who's having hallucinations, they're going to consistently start hearing it. Um, a lot of mental health comes out during puberty. So, you know, I would be very interested in some of the people that become very obsessed with the treasure hunt. What did their lives look like around puberty? Or what did their lives look like in a developmental stage that was very big for them? Like going to college. Did it go well for them? Or did it not go so well and they were very depressed in their dorm room? So all of that can kind of play into things of like, what is the end result of this diagnosis to lead them into stuff?
0: Well, I, I guess... People like that are, are really rare. I think out of all the people, and I've dealt with a lot of people in, in this sort of hobby, that's only happened, I think someone's threatened to shoot me twice. Yeah, that sounds about right. The, there was a St. Augustine guy, and there was the Roanoke the guy. The
2: Roanoke guy is the one I know
0: of. And then the cop threatened to arrest me, but that's his job, so. <laughs> um, right. But what, I th- I, what, what we see most, and this is something that as an adult, I never thought I would see again. Um, is clicks, right? Huge hardcore clicks, almost like high school, like where you have the mean girls, you have the nerdy, p- and they're like, just like high school, they fight each other. Like I didn't know the click mentality. I didn't think it lasted after high school. Like is that is that a normal adult behavior? Oh, yeah,
2: the click mentality is everywhere. It's in your workplace. It's,
0: but 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 not everywhere. really. Like I've never I've never I've never experienced it. Outside of high school, as hardcore as it is in high school, like where you legitimately don't talk to people that your friends that you don't really know kind of don't like, you see what I'm saying? Like, oh,
2: I, yeah, I haven't experienced where it's like
0: warring factions,
2: where you can't talk to someone due to association, yeah, yeah, that's stupid. I mean,
1: that's 100% what the but
2: that's stupid,
0: yeah, but I don't, I didn't know if it was
1: normal,
2: I don't think that's normal.
1: I don't it's think it's cool. necessarily normal, but I mean, if you turn on the TV, there's mob mentality everywhere. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's 2023 and there's mob mentality. You but don't. What's the like results
2: something. of that though? Like why? But I don't understand. So if I'm friends with you and I want to talk to somebody named Sam, but Sam doesn't want to talk to me because I'm friends with you. But why? I don't understand why like what would that I don't understand there's I'm missing something I'm not understanding why Sam doesn't want to talk to me because I'm also friends with you why why doesn't Sam want to talk to me I mean
0: I think what just said is is kind of accurate like if you were to switch this around and we weren't talking about treasure hunts and we were talking about politics nah. right yeah you you see it you see it a lot more like like your republican friends will only hang out with your republican friends and they don't talk to your democrat friends because they're trying to groom children or whatever using drag queens I don't know um, but like that—that's a normal thing that I see every day. Or even religion,
1: crazy. the big things like death penalty, religion. Those big things that people think are a value system. If it's part of their value system that you are loyal to your friends, you are loyal to your family. To the and extreme, you are going to
2: disassociate a lot of people in your life. Then yeah. you're just going to be lonely.
1: Exactly. And that's usually then I would imagine where they become obsessed with if they can find the treasure then they can get all of it back.
0: Maybe, or it at least validates them and their friend group above everybody else. Right. Yeah. So what are, I, I, the, the reason that I wanted to do this was not so much because I don't think that the people that the kind of people that we're talking about are going to give a shit about this. They're just going to think this whole episode is stupid and doesn't affect them. But I think the reason that I wanted to do something about this was because family, family members of these people are having massive problems. Um, number one, like s- seeing the problem two, understanding what's going on and three, but- knowing how to fix it. Like I, I know some, some dude who's blowing his kids college fund on a 1982 children's book um, like his wife isn't going to be able to fix his problems, you know, but they, they don't know where they don't, they don't know where to start because it's such an odd thing, you know?
1: So if the family member is not okay with it, but the family member holds the same values, like we save money and now this person's not saving money or we have hobbies and self-care time. We make time for doctors. We make time for our children, whatever. And then all of a sudden, that person doesn't do that anymore. That's going to cause all kind of discord in it. Whether it's for the treasure hunt, whether it's for drinking and doing drugs, whether it's whatever it may be, right? So, if they want the change to happen, then they're going to have to confront it. They can start gently if they want, but then. They cannot be so gentle, such as like, "Hey, I'm going to pack my bags and divorce you." But whatever it is, it's going to have to have boundaries. Bottom line, and people don't like boundaries; they think they're ultimatums. But if you do them healthy, it's not an ultimatum. So, if we
0: were to switch this right, and we were to say uh, we're not we're not talking about a dude who's threatening to kill somebody over a treasure hunt. We're talking now about. A guy who goes out to the bar every night gets so plastered that he starts threatening people and his wife sees that. Like, what's the first step in that wife getting him help? Because you like and and I say that knowing that the answer is probably be like, you you baker act the dude. But where where you put him under like a psychiatric evaluation, but you can't really do that for a treasure hunt. So what would be, aside from forcible psychiatric evaluation, what would be the first step to fixing that problem?
1: I mean, I would ask him like hey you're going out to the bar every night i would like to see more often are you okay like i think coming at people and saying you're doing this you're doing that that's all automatically gonna put them on the defensive but if you say hey i'm really concerned um i miss spending time with you or whatever it is they may then listen a little bit more they're probably still going to be defensive because they're in what i call their feeling brain they're not um using any type of wise mind so in dialectical behavioral therapy there's like the wise mind the logical area um different parts of the brain won't communicate basically
2: i also think a person if they don't want help they're not going to help themselves like you can't force someone to get help if they're not willing to help themselves either
0: right well let me ask you then because there was a period of time when i was super obsessed with this I know stuff. you were dude and like i would we would during dinner i would be like talking to people and like, completely ignoring you i know and but that changed i mean it took a
2: long time it did
0: take a long time but it changed so and,
2: and i don't think it just changed because i'm like hey you should spurts not talking to people during dinner i think it changed because
0: you were like i'm gonna leave you
2: <laughs> no <laughs> no i th- i think it changed because I think I think honestly, I think it changed because the the community started becoming negative. And that's when you started like, okay, I can't dive in 100% into this like I used to. Like I am missing things from my family and my life for this negativity. It's not worth it. So maybe that's why you changed.
0: Well, I think there was a period of time when I, I had a realization that my life was amazing for so long with you and with the kids and, you know, just with our life. That it wasn't so much the negativity coming from the community. It was that I started noticing uh, my life had a negativity in it because of what I was avoiding. Does that make sense? Because I was avoiding you guys. Because, like, my, my life was good because of all of you. And when I started taking all of you out of my life and replacing it with something else, I started realizing that my life was becoming more negative. So I wanted to reverse that and fix that problem. Um, and, and when that happened, like my life got immensely better.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Like when you took that break,
0: when when when
2: we got attacked and you took that break, it was night and day, 100%. I feel like you were happier and you were like more willing to do like, Fun things, yeah, without you know things around the house more, like you during that time, I think it, it was a, a three sixty personality,
0: yeah, so what I'm curious is, like with with me noticing
1: like because
2: he was so super obsessed,
1: so there's this so back in the day in the eighties, um these people did smoking research on smoking sensation. And they realize that people go through stages of change. And they pretty much, over time, fall into not only drugs and alcohol addiction using it, um, counseling of all kinds using it, but the stages of change basically says people who have quote-unquote a problem, their family members notice it first. That's called pre-contemplation. Like if you have diabetes and you're still eating not like you're supposed to typically it's your medical doctor that says yo stop your a1c is this it's not that the person naturally wakes up one day and says you know what i'm just gonna go and drink my 64 ounces of water and go to the gym and be all healthy and do all the things right some people do that's very rare usually there's an outside factor or event then once they're out of pre-contemplation they're in contemplation they're thinking about it like well my life's really negative right now i don't want negativity what do i do and then i go through all these different stages of change preparation preparation gets confused with action so if i want to drink more water i'm gonna buy all my fancy water bottles that stay cold all the straws i may do all kind of fun stuff with stickers of whatever favorite show i want if i'm not drinking the damn water i'm not meeting my damn goal so people think that is action but it's really not it's all in preparation that they take. And then they move into an action phase, which is uncomfortable. Every self-help book is like, get better in 21 days, 30 days, 90 days. Because it takes a while to build a habit, a routine. Then it goes into maintenance. That's just doing the thing that we wanted to change, relatively calm and part of our daily life. Then unfortunately, there is a relapse phase. You get the flu, and I don't want to drink 64 ounces of water a day. You might not even want to drink anything so then you bounce back up into maybe preparation once you get healthy again and according to these researchers everyone goes through that for every behavioral change they make
0: so i, I look at the day as a normal day as 24-hour segments right you have That's twi- what they are. <laughs> you have 20 you have 24 <laughs> one-hour segments to fill throughout your day and you can fill them with whatever you want generally it's like You sleep for eight hours, you work for eight hours, then you have another eight hours to to do whatever. You spend it with your family or whatever. If you start taking time away from that eight hours to spend with your family and putting, I'm gonna work on this treasure hunt, right? So you start out with eight hours for your family, and then you go to two hours with your family or four hours with your family, and then two hours with your family, and the rest is filled up with this treasure hunt. Mm -hmm. You're taking away, Mm -hmm. right? Going cold turkey in really anything doesn't usually work right it, it doesn't seem to anyway like i smoke if i were to just quit smoking tomorrow i'm going to be smoking again the next day you know uh alcoholics generally when they go cold turkey they just start drinking again soon so what are what are sort of i
2: didn't
1: <laughs> did you go in withdrawals and have seizures she
0: didn't <laughs> she wasn't that bad
1: <laughs> rachel's like
0: a. She's not a binge drinker. It's she, she has no impulse control when she's around her friends. So she doesn't drink at home, but when she's around her friends, she'll have like 20 margaritas.
2: <laughs> it's not that funny, George.
0: So I think the question I was asking Sorry, here was if you,
2: really interrupted. <laughs> if
0: you, if you go cold Turkey, you generally relapse. So I would say, I see people who are like obsessed with this thing and then they automatically leave the group and then. They leave everything behind, and then they're back in like two weeks. You know nothing, <laughs> nothing changed because like they remove this thing completely from their life, and then they're like, "Oh shit, I miss this thing that took up so much of my time." <laughs> so what's a safe way to sort of to to reclaim I don't know your family
1: life? this whole conversation is yes, you no, know, maybe sometimes really depends on the we're talking about like blanketed yeah. statements are kind of hard, and sometimes blanketed statements people grab a hold of and then that's what they obsess over so i've been very cautious
0: we say should we say like a a good first step for really anybody that thinks they're getting a little obsessed with this is to see a therapist right like you just make a call and talk to somebody
1: i think maybe seeing a counselor or really thinking about what are they going to replace their time with so i'm a big believer and this is just Some counselors are. Some counselors are. Some professionals in the psychiatric world are. Sometimes they're not. But I'm a big believer in whatever you're about to change, what are you going to add? Like, if you're thinking about, like, from a spiritual standpoint, what are you going to add? I mean, it's Lent season for some religions right now, and they're, like, constantly taking things away, right? And then people are like, oh, whoa, poor me. Well, Why don't you just add like a meditation first and then take away the thing that you wanted? Or if you're really into freaking like puzzles and treasure hunts, why not go buy puzzles that you can do with your family to incorporate an hour back and still do three hours of the treasure hunt first? Or just if you do have to call Turkey the treasure hunt, those other things have to be put in place. The counselor, the family on board, the extra puzzles maybe if you were constantly walking and looking at parks and stuff then join a gym so you still get that physical activity and camaraderie with people so i think people have to put something in place before they kick away the thing that they want to take away
0: yeah is it really could it be just as simple as like finding finding one something in your life that brings you joy and just focusing on that because I, I think that was what helped me i found the thing that brought me joy and i focused on that and
2: yeah and if i could so you knew you were obsessed right yeah no doubt you no, no doubt you knew you were obsessed if i came to you and like hey you're obsessed i think you should go talk to a cancer and a therapist i think you would tell me no
0: yeah probably
2: so i don't think and especially men i don't think men talk about their mental health enough no I think they're um, embarrassed. I think maybe is yeah. the word. Because if I'm like, "Hey, George, you're a little obsessed. I think you should have talked to somebody." I, I just by taking her advice, um, you would tell me no.
0: Well, it's like I grew up. I, I I think all men are like this, but I'm a little different because of the fire service, where we have we had a culture of only weak people talk about their feelings. Right? Like you, you take your feelings, you ball them up, you put them somewhere in some dark place, and you hide them until they explode and you become an alcoholic. Like that's, that was just sort of the progression of, of, of what men in my life do. Right. I, I, I think men in general, um, have, have that, like, it's not masculine to talk about your feelings, at least men, my age. I I mean, I think it changes with generations below me, but I definitely think that's a problem with, with men in general.
1: The people on the age group that were, were destroying most of their lives with these addictions or repetitive behaviors with the treasure hunt. What were their demographics? Were they white male men, 40 plus?
0: Yeah, it was, so our main demographics are, uh, 30 and above white male, white female, and then there's a big subsection of, um, it's probably half 30 to 50. And then probably half 50 to 60. Okay. And, the, and yes, they're all Caucasian. We have no color I'm whatsoever. I'm sure there might be a couple existing. I know a couple of Spanish people. Like there have been documentaries, like people planning documentaries where they're like, uh, this documentary is very whitewashed. Can you find someone of color?
1: And I'm like, no. I mean, There's no color. I wish similar. there was. I'd be really curious if you polled your audience some of their basic value systems, especially if they'd be willing to say things in a way that were not politically correct. So if they would say, yes, I'm racist. Yes, I'm this. Yes, I'm that. And if they would do it. Yes, I drink. Yes, I've experienced traumatic events. Yes, I'm a first responder. Yes, I went to the military. Not that those things are necessarily bad or good, but if they're willing to admit some of their basic or systems, there may be a greater chance of the families to connect with them. So, like, we've been saying, like, you were obsessed, and that may be a correct word. but oh, if you're, it's, it's if, correct. <laughs> if you're looking at, like, the average person in their 30s that are getting late diagnosed with ADHD, they're going to call it hyper-focused now, and then it's going to move into obsessive obsession so they can taste the dopamine in a different way it may feel different to them Yeah. but if you don't know all the demographics and value systems of a group that's highly whitewashed I find that very interesting because then it's like how do you portray a counselor that they could trust to them I mean I work actually a lot with males and first responders so and I think part of that is because I have very blunt conversations with them of I'm going to be as generic as possible when I bill your insurance. I'm going to make sure you can still carry your weapon if you're law enforcement or military. I'm going to try my best unless you tell me something and these are the things that if you tell me, then we might have to make different choices because people don't, I think they think counselors just want to take away And tell them what they're supposed to do. And that's not a philosophy that a lot of counselors hold. Instead, they're like, what are your goals? So I think approaching someone would be like, hey, things have been really hard in the house. I think I want to go to counseling. Would you go see your own counselor? Or can we do couples counseling? And when you find the right counselor, they're going to be like, all right, what are the goals? What are you working on? It's not about me. It's not about whoever that got there. But what do they really want? Is it life transition? Is it about the obsessions? Is it about some other form of mental health or grief? So that's the other thing. Any form of addiction, there's going to be a grief and loss process. Whether they want to admit it or not. And it may feel stupid to them to grieve a treasure hunt. But that's what they're going to have to do.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, you laugh, but,
1: you know... And it may not be like, oh man, it was the best thing of my life, you know, and like sob about it. But then I might too if they're not, if they haven't been the, the healthiest version of themselves.
0: Yeah, I mean, you fill your time with this thing, and then you miss the thing when the thing's gone.
2: No, I, I get it.
0: <laughs> I think she said something that was important too. That one of the biggest barriers to people that are our age. I think for therapy is that for so long therapists were there to take things away, therapy counselors, whatever, right? Like if you were having problems with your kids, you didn't know how to deal with your kids. You weren't, you weren't going to go see a, a counselor or a therapist cause they'd report you to, you know, child protective services or whatever, you know, and they would take away your kids. As somebody in the fire service, we're not going to go talk to a counselor because they can take away our ability to do our job. Cops aren't going to go talk to a therapist cause you could take away their guns, you know, not, not because they want their guns but that's their ability to work you know so I think that's a big thing with adults is like if if someone goes to a therapist and says look I'm having this problem where I wake up at six o'clock in the morning and then I go to bed at at two o'clock in the morning and all I'm doing is looking at this treasure hunt they're immediately going to think like this counselor is going to take this this thing that I that I love so much or that I like so much they're just going to take it away all they're going to say is you got to give up going on Wikipedia at two o'clock in the morning. You know, I, th- I think that's a big barrier. It's a stupid barrier, but it's a barrier.
2: Okay. So that's a good example from six o'clock in the morning to two o'clock in the morning. If I'm like, Hey, you should go see a therapist because you're doing all this time looking at the treasure hunt. What would you have said?
0: I think I would have, I think I would have been like, look, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a hobby. It's just something that I'm doing to but fill it's a my hobby time.
2: That's over 14 hours long.
0: Yeah, but you know what else am I going to be doing? Like I, I'm not saying that that's how I feel. I'm just no, saying no, that's that's, that's what that's my an actual conversation
2: would be. we have had, just like this. Yeah, that's an actual real life conversation. Yeah,
0: but, and and I, I guess I didn't realize uh, the strain that it put on you guys, and also what I was losing. And it took me realizing that before I fixed it. You know,
1: mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever worked. I mean. There's not much conversation around spontaneous remission. But when I work with any form of addiction. The person doesn't get themselves there. It's everyone else that gets them there. Their consequences. So if you're missing birthday parties. And you're missing family time. It's usually once the wife or the daughter or the son. Or someone else is angry. And resentful. That people start making change. Because they don't want to lose that. Occasionally. They wake up and say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired because I was spent from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. and then had to go to work and my boss got on to me. There's some consequence involved,
0: typically. But I think by the time family members either realize it or realize that it's an actual legit problem, it's way too late. I Like agree with that. If, if we were going back to the guy who spent his kids college fund, you are not a typical person. You look at our savings account every single day to make sure no penny has moved. But most people don't, right? They know I've got $13,000 in savings or whatever, it's just gonna sit there. You know, I'm not gonna touch it so it's not going anywhere. What, I mean, I I don't think most people realize it's too late until a wife checks her savings account and that $12,000 or whatever is just gone. Oh yeah, I
2: don't know what I would do. I would be highly upset.
0: By that point, there's no conversation, it's just over.
2: Yeah, I don't know what I would do. Like if you sneakily, it's like gambling almost. Well, I, but it's it's like in your life away. I
0: say it like like
2: like if you're going to go to the casino and throw $13,000, it's the same concept. Well,
0: I say that like it's an extreme example, but it's not, you know, it's it's in our world, it's fairly common to hear some dude be like some dude that lives in a in a trailer in Arizona and doesn't have a very good job being like I spent $6,000 on ground penetrating radar. Why? Why did you do like? you know that you're ruining your financial stability why are you doing this
1: yeah but the thing about it is with addictions and the stages of change relapse is inevitable it's part of it like it's part of like yeah there are people in the world that have suffered from addictions and they went to one treatment and they got better and they healed and they're making great strides and those people often when you go and find them they're saying they're still doing things greater than themselves such as taking in to do self-care whether that's be a counselor or go to a church or go volunteer and pet some puppies at the local shelter whatever it is it's greater than them fill in their time they've really checked in with their values that are taking their kids to little league or whatever it may be And they're doing something other than what got them into the mess. So a lot of people in all honesty, probably do have to walk away at some point from the treasure hunt, if they're really going to be healthy or have really strong boundaries on it.
2: I agree with her statement. I think volunteering and do other things with your time is is actually really healthy. Yeah. Because remember, when you weren't doing the treasure hunt, and you weren't doing the fire service, <laughs> even though you were around the house and doing things with us, you were still kind of bored. And you didn't, you know, didn't want to go back into the treasure hunting stuff. You You're like, what can I do with my time? And then you spent all the time with the, the masons, remember, and you were doing mm-hmm. that. And I, I mean, I think that's a
0: good idea. I mean, I think it's important to remember we're also we're talking about a very small sub subsection of the community, right? Like most people have a very healthy interest. In this right, it's it's the small subsection that don't and I think what what I'm what I'm, I'm most trying to get out of this is for that small subsection that have a, a definite problem, but don't necessarily realize it's a problem. Like what should, what should they, or what should their family members be looking for as sort of warning signs or examples that this person might either just need to take on like the, on the simple side, maybe just take a break, but on the more extreme side, maybe need to seek some help.
2: Well, some of the signs is being on the treasure hunt from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Um, When you're having dinner, you're more focused on your phone than you are dinner or the conversation. She's
0: just using examples of me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that's important, though. Like when people get super involved in something, they're spending a lot of time getting what they want. So if we use drugs and alcohol as an example and someone's like, oh, I don't drink that often. I only drink when I'm with friends. All right. How often are you with your friends? four times a week okay so we just got a time scale four times out of seven days you're with friends for how many hours oh eight hours okay so eight hours four times a week that's a lot of time how much do she drink uh not that much four or five four or five what 32 ounce cups so we got a big gulp going on from the slushy maker or we got in like little shot glasses what are we drinking so then within that there's limits and regulations so when we put it in this context are they on their phone because phones in themselves have their own issues are they on their phones looking at the treasure hunt talking to people are they avoiding the things in their life that are responsibilities uh now yeah you have a bad day at work you might not want to cut your grass when you get home but if cutting grass was your thing and your yard was your thing and it was immaculate and now it's not that's probably a warning sign if you are super extroverted and that's how you recharge for self-care or going to concerts engaging in sports and other things now you're isolated in your room on zoom meetings talking to people about whatever then that might be a warning sign someone who's very introverted and only wants to recharge by themselves is all of a sudden going out and going across the country and blowing money. That might be a warning, sign. I do find it important to acknowledge, though, that the family members are going to have to set their own boundaries. What are they okay with? We get just as sick, too. We get codependent. We enable. We do these things. So if I'm sitting at dinner table and you're, like, texting on your phone, please put up your phone. If you don't, I'm just going to go in the other room and watch tv so some families will disperse and that will be fine for them and other families they'll have arguments and knock down drag about it so it all comes down to a lot of what do the families want and what are their boundaries and their self-care looking like there's an author called fake g harper and she writes all these books they're really small and thin they often have workbooks but one of them is called unfuck your boundaries and it's very simplistic um and not to be derogatory to people's understanding but if you're busy and you're an adult in this age bracket you don't have much time to read you know unless it's your thing and then you're gonna make time for it so if you're spending a lot of your time doing a treasure hunt i wouldn't want to recommend a book that's just going to be like whatever um but she writes about time boundaries intellectual boundaries um, spiritual boundaries, like every aspect of boundaries and how that affects people. So if someone's playing on their phone at dinner and that's the value system of the family, that person is crossing all kind of boundaries and that family has every right to set whatever they need to set within that context. And the person has going to get over it or get out.
0: So is one good step. Like if, if I, like, I didn't know. It was like if I was sitting here listening to this, and I was thinking maybe I fall into this category of people who maybe have a problem, or maybe I don't. Is one gate one is one way to is a, a Freudian slip. There <laughs> is is one way to sort of help figure that out. To to do what you were saying before, where you where you help people with alcohol problems, to just sit down one day and go okay, I spend X amount of days doing this. I spend X amount of time during the day doing it. So like, let's say I research for four hours a day, but I do it five days a week. That's that's 20 hours. That's, 20 hours. that's I'm spending a, a part-time job. Uh, you know, it's like having a part-time job being away from my family for X amount of time. That's a problem.
1: Yep. I think so. One of the two things, and this sounds very, probably cheesy. In fact, I've had adults tell me that's stupid. Too- but that's very childlike and i'm like well we're doing it and but i'll often ask people create a pie chart of what your life looks like and you have your percentages your hours whatever and they should actually do this you want me to do this
2: yeah like do it and then you could put yours up on here all right like and make it a little yeah
1: and then i ask them what do you want it to look like based on your values so if you want it to be more family time or less work time so how are we going to take how it is to where you want it to be in counseling and get there
0: yeah because i mean there's a there's a warm middle you know there's a healthy amount of time that everybody needs to spend doing something they like engaging their brain or engaging they're just getting dopamine right like there's a we- there's a there's a big difference between somebody who like smokes weed on the weekends because it's fun <laughs> and someone else who's like addicted to heroin, you know? Like, there's a difference. So, I, and we're like, we're we're trying to figure out how to move the heroin addict to just casually smoking weed on the weekends.
1: Well, there is one thing that we haven't talked about yet, which is cross addiction. Um, it was like really big back of like lots of conversations around it. But if someone gives up something that they're very attached to, it's not uncommon that they, pour all their energy into a just as much harmful activity so yeah the secret may not in spirit be harmful but they were using it in a harmful way and then all of a sudden now they are spending enough money on weed and having to go to sketch locations to get it or they're spending all their money for special lamps and make sure the male and female plants work right and all of this they're probably just having cross addiction at that point. They gotta yeah. fill
2: that void with something else. It <laughs> well, and and,
1: uh, has to be a positive thing.
0: And, and if we're being honest, a lot of the problems that I've seen with people, I don't know what the clinical term for it would be, but it seems like a compound thing. Like, it's people who are already just drunk off their fucking mind. Right? Normal people who are um, not normal people because, uh, you know, this is kind of normal. But like, people who aren't alcoholics aren't gonna, you know, go to work sober one day and threaten to shoot somebody, right? It's when they get plastered at home at two o'clock in the morning where they're like, if you ever come back to Roanoke, I'll shoot you in the fucking face, you know? It's like the people that we seem to have the biggest problems with here already have problems with something else.
1: Right, which is what we talked about at the very beginning of like my old clinical supervisor was like, give me an addict or alcoholic and i'll tell you about their porn addiction these other things that feel good but you just give me someone who quote-unquote only has an addiction to the secret or only has an addiction to porn or only has those are repetitive behaviors that are coming from somewhere else like drug and alcohol addiction
0: I always feel like when people talk about porn addiction, like that's not a real thing.
2: It's a real thing. Is it a real so, thing? So my question is before the secret, what was your addiction? Oh, um, uh, because if you have one, I don't know it.
0: I think before the secret, I was addicted to adrenaline. Um, I, I, I liked to do things that, or or I don't know if it was adrenaline. I don't know what it's called. I liked to be impulsive. No, no, because uh, before the secret, I, I was 100% in, in the fire service. You're 100% of the fire. Service.
2: And okay. what I liked
0: to do was be the dude that kicked down the door of a burning building was like, you lady, come with me, you know, I, <laughs> not like a hero complex, but I, I liked to be I liked that I liked the adrenaline of Here's a car on fire. Let me fucking cut it up with a saw and get this baby out of it. And and if we're being honest, do you know what probably got me into the secret was those two calls with Austin?
2: Probably.
0: Because before, so let me tell you. I'll tell you because
2: you're gonna edit <clears throat> this out, right?
0: Probably not, okay. because you're my counselor right now. So oh, I, I <laughs> <laughs> I'm congratulations. I'm just gonna let I'm just gonna let you know what got my addiction and this weird thing started. Um, <clears throat> I was really deep in the fire service for a long time, but you knew that. And I, there was this kid named Austin who like, I took him through fire school. Um, he was 20 something.
2: Yeah, he was young. So like 20, he was, he was 23, 24.
0: Um, we took him through fire school. He was in, he was in my station. He was below me. We did all kinds of shit together. I took him through all his training, through his EMT, fire one, fire two, hazmat, everything. Uh, we ran two calls. One where is the saddest fucking thing I've ever, I've ever. I've ever experienced. Um, There's this kid who's uh, his mom's boyfriend had just beat the shit out of him, right? Just beat him literally to death. And Austin and I i am sitting here holding this kid. And and this kid's like, he just kept saying he was sorry, right? Like the kid just kept telling me he was sorry. And like, it was probably 15 minutes later, the kid died. And I'm just sitting here like, I, what fuck are you sorry for? Dude, you didn't do anything. But like, that, and then not a week later, we had a call where this dude—he had a, a one of those old Ford Broncos, you know, like the old SUVs, right? And he was pulling a boat. He had he had he had pulled his uh, trailer down to a boat dock, and he got Why out. Of, you
2: told me this. Story? He, he got
0: out of the Bronco and went up to the went up to the dock and got in his boat and was pulling his boat around onto the trailer. And he had his kid strapped into a car seat in the back, and he had his dog up front. And his dog hit the gear shift the car into neutral and the Bronco just went back and filled up with water and we couldn't like, the kid drown we couldn't get the kid out um, so those two things happen and then two weeks later Austin killed himself and at that point I was just like fuck the fire service <laughs> right? like I can't do this shit anymore I mean I that's when I stopped I stopped running calls I went to the board and that lasted. Designed- that lasted like a year and a half two years you and i just resigned
2: for a while but you didn't run any calls yeah you weren't even active really. that
0: that was what i did before before the secret like it's those two things
1: that brings up an important thing we've talked a lot about addictions or repetitive behaviors that people have due to mental health i haven't really talked about trauma and how our trauma brain when you're constantly put in fight or flight or freeze responses We're either going to have hyper arousal where we're like looking angry, having addictions. We're doing all the external things that people either don't really handle very well, or we're going in hypo arousal where we're numbing out, we're cutting ourselves, we're killing ourselves. We're doing different things. And so our window of tolerance is between those two states. And our window of tolerance isn't there. We shut down and go into either phase. So Trauma and compounded trouble trauma can make people dive into other stuff. Fortunately, people experience a lot of trauma all of the time. And then they pour alcohol on it, or they pour being in and Pulsa and going and running into burning buildings, whatever it may be, or they turn it inward on themselves and they just sit in an isolated room, numbing out and cutting themselves. So we probably should put a trigger warning on this.
0: I will do that. You know, I didn't, I didn't think about this until you said that. I wonder if my, my addiction all along was not like that adrenaline rush, but it was, can you be addicted to
1: being a helper to like helping people out of shit? Oh, well, I challenge <laughs> about people pleasing and caretaking. And people people what- pleasing. Let's, let's <laughs> you're go totally, with that. You're it's
0: totally people, it's people pleasing because totally when i left the fire service the only thing that i do for the secret like i'm not a you were on the board i don't but but like the so for the treasure hunt right like i don't look for any of these stupid no, things no you
2: haven't done that in a very very long time
0: but what i do is i help people i fucking meet people at the park at two o'clock in the morning just to make them happy or i build websites that house all this information just to help people with shit. or i manage, I manage a community and put myself in harm's way to try to keep everybody happy
1: like i wonder if that
0: that's my addiction it's people pleasing
2: i would agree with that
1: so then i'm wondering where you think your people pleasing is to stem from
2: probably his mom It's
1: probably my fucking mom yeah on <laughs>
2: she's the hardest person to please
0: so how do i get help Jen? <laughs> <laughs> you can't you are
1: state. oh god <laughs> there But I mean, if you also think about it, and just because we've known each other, and we've had conversations preparing for this, of like, often you have been a people pleaser. I guess. And so some would say that can be a constant state of being, and so then setting boundaries would be really hard it
2: is really hard because he has canceled he would make plans with the searcher and then make plans with me as well and let's say our plans were made like one month in advance and the plans with the searcher was made the day of he this has happened quite a like a couple of times where he's like rachel i can't do this with you anymore i've i have to meet the searcher i said george we made these plans like a month ago he's like yeah i know we're sorry We'll do it another time. And I'm like, well, why can't we just cancel with the searcher? He says he can't. He feels obligated or he just wants to. I said, you're not obligated to these people. You should just be able to cancel with them because we made plans first. And unfortunately, I've always took the back seat of these arguments.
0: And But that it was switching that focus. It was. It
2: was when, yeah. when you, when you. Yeah, when yeah you no, realize, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but I'm just saying when you were addicted, it was always they came first. Yeah. No matter what, how my feelings were validated, they came first. And I would Always take the backseat.
1: Which is also something important to acknowledge of how exhausting that would be. It's also very hard to tell the person who's asking you right then and there that with the funsies of, hey, two o'clock in the morning, can you come meet me at the park? Well, actually, I can't tonight, but two days from now I can. That's not going to give the same response to someone who's people pleasing and knows that they're for lack of better words knows their support system is going to put up with their bullshit um so then it's how do you change and switch from yes i'm a people pleaser i want to do these things but i also want to balance my value system of family so how about i start scheduling when i meet people at 2 a.m in the park or for my safeties that she's been (laughs) threatened yeah I'm not allowed to do it
2: anymore you can't it can't be people at two o'clock in the morning anymore I, to, we, if we, we're we being honest I, I
1: totally
0: would but I'm not allowed <laughs> no and it's like it's weird <laughs> Rachel Rachel like tells me she's like you have to take somebody like who do you want me to take she's like take destiny <laughs> take the 120 pound 20 year old what's well, she gonna do with
2: someone at least she can at least call for help if you get shot You're not sitting in the woods just dying and bleeding out. and You don't meet people at 2 o'clock in the morning. You meet them at a reasonable time now.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's true. I think those are important things to acknowledge. Like, You know, this population that you said that most of this group is. You know they had some little grandma or someone in their lives that says nothing good happens after dark if we're looking at this generation of like 40 plus. So what is happening in their life to where they would change their routine if we're looking at the police
0: the police so everybody in this community is scared of getting arrested for digging a hole so they all want to go out at like two o'clock in the morning because they feel for some reason they don't don't think the police work their (laughs) shifts
1: yeah because yeah that's not how research works No, more people are going to probably report a flashlight than they would during the daytime yeah. A lot of burglaries even happen during the daytime because people stalk out the houses and people's routines.
0: But I feel like that's a big draw for people. It's like this clandestine wrong thing, you know, yeah. that they that they can do, which they amp up to be like it's a felony. Like they're committing a felony or whatever, when in reality they know there's no there's no consequences, right? Like if a cop catches you digging a hole in a park, what's he going to do? Tell you to stop? He's not going to arrest you. You're not going to prison. You know, but there's this like this like uh this tinge of, of you're doing this this clandestine thing that you're not supposed to do. And I think that's a draw for people.
1: Especially if they're in hyperarousal, they're gonna want to do something, physically do something if they've suffered any form of trauma. And yeah. I think there's this big remit I think too, probably in the age group or population too, that trauma has to be the big things watching a person die by suicide watching someone drowned the stereotypical dating that society if you rated it everyone would agree that's traumatic however if there's mental health substance use whatever it may be also there and then their body gets put in fight or flight responses their survival responses because they don't know if they're cavemen being chased by a bear in the woods or if they're witnessing another political hate crime and and or you know some type of rally or something they don't know their body does not know so there's this movement finally acknowledging that if the brain itself and the body goes into some type of survival mode they are experiencing trauma at that point in time whether it's i mean it used to be called little t trauma big t trauma but i i didn't really Bob well with that. So who's to say someone's divorce before they found the secret was not traumatic because they were constantly in and out of a courtroom and being put in high stress situations with cortisol levels and other things was not traumatic, even if they were never hit or screamed at or whatever. Yeah, their whole life, their grief process just got whacked upside the head. So potentially, that would be something to think about. And in my experience this population, especially white men in their fifties are not going to say they were traumatized by
0: the Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that it's one of those things where biologically, what you just said makes sense. It makes 100% total sense, but we're raised that, you know, man, the fuck up, you know, even, even women, you're, we're like this, this shit, like everybody goes through, everybody goes through a divorce. Why are you special? Like it shouldn't be traumatic. It's something normal. Like, it happens to 50% of marriages, right? Like, 50% of people who are married don't... They're not tra- they are not traumatized, you know? That's just what we were... That was... That's how we were raised.
1: Mm-hmm. And yet, if someone is already dealing with an anxiety disorder, like generalized anxiety, and then goes through a divorce, it could absolutely be another compounded feature and become trauma. Whereas, if they're quote-unquote typically developing not neurodivergent whatever new spicy 2023 word we want to call it is there then it may take something like a severe car wreck or something everyone would rate as trauma to increase and make them go all out. Who knows?
0: You know what sucks with our demographic? Um everybody's just going to listen to this and say we're now woke and <laughs> we're going to be canceled
1: <laughs> that's okay and not everyone takes it as serious as others yeah. so asking these questions to counselors until people all the time go go interview a few ask if they have free consultations like hey what what's your stance on working with men who are first responders how do you make sure my boss isn't going to find out what i tell you what's that like um life insurance policies hell not to freak people out but depending on what you're doing and what type of career you have if you get a brand new life insurance and you're honest which i encourage people to be and you check counseling or drugs and alcohol they then may try to contact your counselor of course with the release of information and while i'm just a fancy person, I guess, or a brat. I'm like, I'm oh, sorry, I can't confirm or deny, even with this release, until I communicate with my client, because sometimes they don't even know what they're signing because it wasn't, yeah, and enough information. I don't turn over my notes hardly ever. I've argued in court before, and I've sat there and told people this confidential and privileged information, as stated by these laws. So once again tell me what I have to answer judge I'm not a lawyer so it kind of also depends on how ballsy your counselor is too
2: what do you do when you try to evaluate a client and they're not 100% truthful so how do you how do you hint like how do you help them if they're not being truthful to you
1: eventually it'll come out I mean even that first hour to hour and a half is just a snippet of what they recall so then it that's when you can fall back on your training like were you trained as person-centered were you trained cognitive behavioral were you trained for an eclectic approach and pull from different things um i mean i hate to say it this way but i just automatically assume that people have minimized everything that they tell me when i first meet them because from a cognitive behavioral standpoint that I often pull from trauma-focused cognitive behavioral in the beginning and motivational interviewing in the very beginning because that gives me like a snap snapshot and then if they buy into it, it's almost like swiping left or right. Like, hey, you bought into me? Okay, cool. See you next week. And then you just build upon that based off their goals. They're coming in for a life transition because they're going to college and their parents are driving them nuts, they won't work on it. If they're coming because a wife or a mom says, I'm done, quit drinking. That may be a way different conversation. Well, something else I'd say too, is like, I
0: think people who have, uh, problems or even just normal people don't think about this when they're presenting themselves to others, but it doesn't take long for you as just a normal untrained person to figure out what someone is actually like, right? And to figure out like someone presents themselves to you as a, just a a normal average everyday person. It doesn't take long for you to figure out if there are actual problems, right? And in a conversation, it doesn't take long for you to figure out what those actual problems are, even if they're not actively talking about their problems, right? So I would imagine someone who is trained in seeing what problems are and addressing them it takes even less time just having a normal conversation with somebody to be like oh your divorce caused you a bunch of fucking trauma and now you're addicted to porn or whatever <laughs> like i i feel like with with a counselor it's a lot easier because there's there like everybody in this world in this in this in this hobby presents themselves as just a normal average everyday person right i constantly get emails from people who are like i'm not crazy i'm a college professor or i'm I'm a cop or whatever, but if you keep going through that conversation, it doesn't take long to figure out like, no, they're lying their ass off and they actually are pretty crazy.
2: Why would someone start a conversation saying that I'm not crazy though? Like that doesn't even make any sense. Like if I was crazy, I, I wouldn't tell somebody that I'm not crazy. I would just wouldn't say the word crazy at all.
0: Yeah. Well, normal people tend to not start their conversations that way. It's people who, who have a little bit of a problem, who immediately need to convince you that they don't actually have that problem at least in my it's experience.
2: a little weird though i wouldn't just say i wouldn't say anything even if i was crazy or would not i would not email someone and say hey i'm not crazy i just would opt that out and just say hey i have this theory
0: ask her <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, kind of like the kid trying to talk someone into having another cookie before dinner
2: But saying I'm not crazy won't really help your case any, in my opinion.
1: It doesn't. You're asking for a cookie before dinner if you're (laughs) too. Like people often want what they want. And I think probably by now, there's been a lot of conversation around the secret of, oh, now there's crazy people, quote unquote. Oh, now people threaten me. So that rhetoric is throughout the whole organization at this point the whole mob knows that they're crazy people lurking now and they have to prove that they're not one of them because if they're not one of them then you're going to talk to them yeah and give them that dopamine hit yeah newsflash
0: that's the worst way to prove you're not one
1: of them
2: yeah leave leave that out guys yeah. just leave that out even if you are crazy i'll
0: figure it out yeah
2: don't don't <laughs> say that first sentence leave that
1: out
0: Is there anything that you think would be important to hit on that we haven't hit
1: on? Yeah, I think, well, one, going back to talking to counselors, I think it'd be really important, uh, fully aware that people don't trust very easily. Um, Just go in and be honest as much as you can, and they will figure it out. Um, One of the things I always ask my clients is, hey, is there anything today that felt so big and scary that you could not tell me what it was, but maybe we could just put a label to it. Like, you know, I've got a details. i um, the stranger you just met. Can you just put a label to it? So sometimes even just writing things down, like divorce, relationship with children, um, hobby, whatever it may be, and handing it to them even to spur the questions from the counselor, often feel safer to, for client. So definitely get a counselor then again i think counseling is great for everybody to so at least try once um because we're always going through something um two would be to make sure whatever your self-care is and here i think has gotten basically a bad name as in like oh it's goat yoga and going to get our like truck shined and our nails done those can all be things or people who want a self-care day. It can also be getting up and getting out of a room when you've isolated and brushing your damn teeth. Like, it does not have to be these big elaborate things. Um, so to, like, really check in with yourself on their self-care. Like, is their hygiene on, like, a normal, stereotypical normal week their standard? If it's not, something else is probably going on if it's now below their standard what does their sleep look like people have to sleep or it's going to eventually cause problems sleep is probably one of the most needed functions that we serve um the other thing is find the things that she really enjoys okay you want a hobby with the treasure hunt cool do it but then communicate with someone about it whether it's like an accountability partner like hey I'm only going to travel once a month. I can budget it. I can do it, do a little pie chart, figure it out. But I think people really need to communicate. Unfortunately, even the people that say they're introverted, they need some form of connection. And it's got to be a connection that's not going to just be in a screen constantly. Our brains were not made for TikTok. They were not. I know I'm probably going to get told me if any of your population you know, is young at all. TikTok Instagram. we're not made to constantly scroll hours a day seeing the cute kitty and then the sad person dying in a hospital and then we can't emotionally regulate well enough. It just sits with us. Um, so yeah, I'd kind of probably focus on like what does your social media time look like what does um your sleep and things like that and if any of those are and not your standard talk to somebody whether it's a family member counselor for those that are religious a synagogue a pastor a reverend whatever because at least it's somebody they're connecting with an actual human that's good
2: nice I don't have TikTok though.
0: Me too. I do. I know. Like it. It's got thoughts. Face work. I just want you to be like, I got something to say. I killed a baby today. I won't keep it up the whole time.